Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? I'm pretty tired. I moved last Saturday and I'm still living in boxes and I have a little bit of a cold. Um, so a s- nice summer, late, late, early summer, or late spring cold. Um, how are you this week? Well, I've been like just dripping from my nose for like two days and constantly sneezing. And that's that delightful oh, like allergies. Itch of, yeah, allergies. Uh, so I don't know when I I know when I I think I know when I developed a dust allergy. And that's when I worked like right next to the all these servers with a fan blowing directly in my face past the servers blowing dust on me. Like I eventually figured out, oh, that's probably why that happened. Um to keep the servers cool. But um I don't know when I got general allergies, but I'm not a fan. It's not it's not fun. I was teaching the other day and literally just had like a Kleenex just like sticking out of my nose. Oh, which is no, a great look. The worst. Yeah, that's that's not a good look on anyone. Yeah. And I was just like, um, here's just what I'm going to do, because it was just like, you know, to be gross uh, and overshare. It's just like just like a slow, like consistent drip. So I was yeah. like, OK, I'm just going to do this. So please don't make too much fun of me. But some fun is appropriate. So now let's power through. And my students were very cool about it. <laughs> well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Because it, it is really hard to take someone seriously when they have tissue in their nose. When they have like, yeah, absolutely. It was it was, a, it was a great look. It was like, okay, so really think about the phrasing here. And, you know, what do you have to do with your bow? And like, what else? What, like, this needs so much more intensity and passion. And while I have... Kleenex just on my face so it was it was a great moment for me um this week we're gonna try to keep you know you're you're exhausted and box ridden and uh both of us are not feeling all that hot so we're gonna keep things on the shorter side um it's it's finale and premiere season and so there's a bunch of shows that are almost at their finales that we're not going to talk about that we will talk about next week or the week after because again finale season um but there are there's also plenty of other um, interesting fun tv to talk about so um let's at the end of the show we are talking about one of the finales this week we're talking about barry season one which we haven't really talked about in a while but i think will be a uh, super fun discussion for everyone that's coming at the end of the podcast yep i'm very excited to discuss it yeah and uh yeah let's get into it so let's just do a little music and come back with our week in comedy and reality
That was New Attitude by Patti LaBelle, which, of course, was the lip sync song this week on RuPaul's Drag Race. We will be talking about Drag Race, but first up, we're going to talk about that finale of Blackish, Dream Home, and then I'll talk about uh, the finale of Silicon Valley. Then we'll go over to DuckTales, Beware the Buddy System. Then I'll talk a bit about uh, my last OG catch-up, and we'll round things out, of course, with Drag Race Breast World. So first up is the Blackish finale, Dream Home. And we've been more mixed than most about the this last arc of the season for Blackish. Uh, Noel, how did they they pull things together? And uh, overall, how do you how do you think they did with this? You know, tension in uh, Dre and Bo's marriage to the point where they like are completely separated, potentially moving to divorce, uh, living separately. Did do you think they earned it? Do you think they, the payoff was worth everything we got? I think it was okay. I really do feel like that they should have spent a lot more time with this than they ended up doing uh, by squeezing it into the last few episodes of the season. Um, And I think a lot of it boiled down to the fact that particularly this episode sort of teases, like gives us a little bit of like Bo's interior monologue about this. And then that just sort of drifted away. And while we got to see her sort of um, working, being the only parent in the house it never really expanded in a way that i was hoping to see it expand or see it see it how it was functioning especially now that she's gone back to work to a certain extent and so this was one of those instances where this sort of truncated sudden approach to doing this particular storyline really i think harmed the overall sort of point that they were making and the the resolution of it as well um, that relies on, spoiler alert, uh, her dad dying off screen to sort of resolve the situation, at least for this season, um, is a little tidy for me. Um, so as much as I sort of enjoyed how much Diane really liked um, Dre's new apartment complete with the view and the glass house and the infinity, the infinity fireplace, fireplace <laughs> um, which I, I, I just have to say, I like that everyone down to his coworkers were just like, you have a toddler. What do you need this for? Um, I really appreciated the consistency of that, but overall it was sort of, it was sort of a mixed bag um, as I think most of this um, little chunk this little this miniature arc of storytelling has been uh but how did it work out for you in like a broad in a broad picture sort of way i think it was uh we didn't talk about the show last week either but i think these last two episodes have been you know very strong i think they've done Mm -hmm. a good job with it and i still have the same qualms that we've had with this whole arc and um <laughs> when they're like back to living together and all is well and Devante look exactly the same uh, it was still like that was a little extra sting for me at the uh at the end of the finale when we see them all you know all back together in the house because like again this child like you're trying to sell this and a fant- fantastic cast very talented cast they are selling the crap out of it um, but there's no, like it, there's just that artificialness. I don't feel like there's enough of a weight to it. I don't believe that they will come back to it in a meaningful way with the kids, um, in especially Jack and Diane in the next season, you know, Who like will be the only kids left. <laughs> yeah. It was a strong 
arc overall, it, even if I didn't buy it in the context of the rest of the show. Uh, excellent yeah. performances, some really terrific writing in certain scenes. Um, but I watching this finale, I just couldn't help but think, how amazing would this have been to be a season arc? Yeah. Like, if they had made this like an arc over the course of the next season, how great would that have been to to see Bo on her own, to see Andre on his like give them some real like maybe do spend these last four episodes really and truly more organically and honestly breaking things um while still trying to be funny and then mm-hmm. spend the next season with them like end the season on uh like a heartbreaking but still at least like healing through at least they're not fighting anymore at Pete like that kind of a thing note yeah. so it's not completely depressing and then spend the next season like f- fueling your season with all these great stories they could have done they could have tackled instead of jamming them into a montage you know and, and, like imagine then the mid-season break like the, the first half of the next season we're seeing like like especially with this idea that Ruby's still staying at Bose, which I didn't buy, but okay, let's say that she is. Um, there's a lot more potential for conflict and and that actually you buying them interacting, like that feeling more earned. Um, next season, you you have Bo's parents around much more, and so that way when Bo's dad dies, that is like much you know, and imagine that's the mid-season break, hiatus cliffhanger, you know, that phone call. And then you spend the second half of the season with them working back towards, you know, getting back Paying together. Paying attention to the turkey. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think, like, it, it was a, a good episode, a strong episode, but I think it could have been, like, great. Like, mm-hmm. really, really great. And they settled for good to very good. And, um, I mean, I understand why they wanted to end on a happy note. They didn't want to upset the whole show. Like, in, on a long-term way, they d- weren't interested. I don't know if and that's my guess. Um, I think this, I, I read some interview that this was based on actual strain in Kenya Barris's marriage, something that happened with him and his wife earlier in the run of the show um, mm-hmm. when he was working on Blackish. So that kind of explains a little bit more where they're coming from. And I also think if they hadn't come to a good place with uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, that we wouldn't have had necessarily that ending we got. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, it's just a shame because it was good, but it could have been so much more interesting while still doing all the things they normally do on the show. This could have been something else that they did. We could have gotten 50% episodes from Bo's perspective. How great would that have been? That would have been incredible. And it would have, it would have, it would have especially allowed and addressed some of like, Tracy Ellis Ross's sort of problems as well with the show of like wanting both like higher pay, but also like a more prominent sort of part in the show that as, as everyone sort of like recognizes, she's really essential, but at the same time, it like really would drive home that point of how essential she was if she was, had been given more episodes Yeah, and her and with Bo's perspective being much more forward than it is yeah um would have it would have just it would have made a big difference i think especially to the entirety of this particular arc and so watching them go through this in a more deliberate sort of fashion as you're describing i think would have really worked to their benefit 
Well, and it's with the stories that they're telling here in truncated form, actually give them the space they need. And over the same span of time that they're claiming this is set during. Right. You know, like, actually just show that. Just don't montage right. over it and while we're pretending no one's aged. Like, seriously, when does this happen? It Well, I mean, Zoe's home. So it basically happens over the course of summer break, I guess. I mean, Zoe's still home and Junior hasn't gone to um, hasn't gone to college yet. Yeah. So it's the summer, basically. And that I just go, OK, sure. But this is also a really good time for you to age up the baby. So you don't <laughs> have to you can do new stories with the baby in season six. Yeah. Yeah. Season five, I should say. Season five, yeah. Um, I will say, though, um, despite some of my frustrations with it, like you said, the fire gags were super funny. And, like, it was dusty as fuck when uh, Andre gave Bo those flowers, man. Yes. Yeah. They they really, they, there's a bunch of this that they absolutely nailed. And that was certainly one one part of it. Yeah, it was. Um, and it does speak to, like, that the show is very keyed into its particular strengths. And that they felt confident enough to do this in the way that they did it, I think, says more about their cast, necessarily, and their ability to get across and depict this sort of a storyline in this sort of manner. I think speaks really well of the cast, uh, not necessarily of, like the show's overall plotting and writing as a whole, but it speaks generally really well of the cast and the show trusting them to pull this off, which, again, they do with the material that they have. Yeah, definitely. Are there any other scenes or moments you'd like to single out? No, though my hope for season five is that they redo the kitchen. Oh, God, yeah, (laughs) right? Because it's so bad. It's It's so bad. bad. I do well, not then. care for it yeah. at all. Um, I, w- I would love to see them stain the sink and then like somehow like as part of a gag, the next time you see the kitchen, there's that copper sink in there. <laughs> yes, that would be very good. I would like that. Um, was there anything else in particular that stood out to you? Oh, just another shout out to a line. Um, the Zoe's, I'm still your daughter, not your friend. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a, an interesting experiment. Um and overall, I, like Twitter is very confident that that we are on the wrong page about this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's I just be us. Surprised. But yeah, you know, oh well. Well, it's it's uh, it's all me in the sense that I was just like, guys, mad about you did this so much better, mm-hmm. and with the same sort of really kind of overly tidy resolution as well in terms of how they decide to reconcile uh, Paul and Jamie in from that is also decidedly very tidy. And they even joke about it in season five, that they're never talking about this again, being what happened in season four. And so it's just like, it's a very good gag. Um, But it's, yeah, it's just, I think like, like, like you and I've been discussing for the past couple of weeks. It's just, if this had been stretched out in a way that allowed a number of different stories from a number of different perspectives to be told, then it would have been, it would have been a lot stronger. Yeah. Also having its finale this week is Silicon Valley, uh, which dropped at season five, 51%. I think having a shorter episode run. Super short season. Yeah. I was really surprised that this was already over. Yeah, it was only eight episodes to match Barry's eight. Um, but I think it was good uh, for the season. It was pretty tightly paid. We didn't have like the extra turnaround in the middle of the season as we're kind of killing time. 
before the last push that the last few seasons have had, um, which I think definitely benefited the pacing. The finale is, you know, often on this show, they're they're doing great, they're doing great, yay, they win, I'll undercut all the success, right? They did the opposite of that this time, where they almost are defeated and then have a victorious, triumphant ending of the season. I thought it worked well overall. I've really appreciated the concerted effort to work on their their gender and uh, racial diversity, at least somewhat this season. It's uh, greatly appreciated. <laughs> I know they don't care what I think, but hopefully they care what their viewers overall think. And uh, making several more prominent um, coders at the company be women and be people of color, and then giving much more of an actual personality character and arc to Jin Yang and in- introducing other Chinese characters as well, I think all worked very well and gave them more things to do with strong pieces in their ensemble that they already had. And the, the, the ridiculousness of like, I got to give it to Thomas Middleditch because he does this like really ridiculous dance thing along with uh kiss my piss, which is like his um, insult that he accidentally kind of stumbles on. And then, and then just commits to <laughs> As he's doing a victory, like a really awkward Elaine Bennis style victory dance. Uh, that comes up a couple times in the finale and it actually is kind of hilarious. <laughs> so well done there. But uh, yeah, it was a strong, a strong finale, even if I don't feel like there's much more for me to say about Silicon Valley other than, yay, now you've got um, more women in your cast that you're actually giving something to. I like the way that they paid off the Tesla arc. For uh, for Dinesh, I liked the <laughs> the stuff that they gave Martin Starr. So yeah, it was it was a strong season. It was a fun season and a consistent one, but not one that I again. They're in season five. They're going into season six. I don't feel like there's much for me to say about Silicon Valley most weeks, unless there's a really notable, you know, standout episode. It just is like, yep, it's funny. They are doing a pretty good thing. They're doing the same thing they tend to do almost every season at this point, but they're doing it well. So, you know, props to them. And I do look forward to season six. I like the way that they end. I think it sets up potential for season six if they commit to it. So they end the season with Pied Piper successful and uh, like they've launched their new internet and they're taking over this massive like two floor area. They've got meetings set with the FCC and the CIA and all this stuff about like privacy and protection and such in in their new internet and all this good you know all this interesting stuff so i really hope they commit to that and don't just undo it so that they can be scrappy underdogs again for like the fourth time but we'll see we'll see what happens and uh yeah well i'm I'm curious to see whether I, i will be curious to see if it's not already announced whether next season is another eight episodes or 10 or 13 like which because i do think having a tighter season this has helped season five but if season six is going to commit to all the sprawling things that can happen with a much larger and um, much more complicated uh business structure and and, you know like everything that the baggage that comes with becoming a huge company uh that might need more episodes i don't know but um i think i think season five has been fun and certainly I will be remember. I will be remembering the kiss my piss dance. Um, I think at the end of the at the end of the year for memorable lines and such. Uh, so yeah, props to Silicon Valley for that. I find it interesting. Our next episode is Ducktales: Beware the Buddy System. I find it interesting that this week 
Yeah, I'm talking about Silicon Valley and we're also talking about DuckTales. And Silicon Valley has more gender diversity than DuckTales. I mean, that's my takeaway of this episode, which is a problem. Because my takeaway of this episode should be Lin-Manuel Miranda, yay! Um, But literally, it's all dudes in this entire episode. And it's a reboot, I get that. Um, But nobody's saying you have to, like, I kind of wish Miranda wasn't in this because I wish they had made Gizmoduck a lady just so that there would be some more because every person that they run into in this, in DuckTales world, who is an inventor, a scientist, a leader of a company, somebody in a position of authority, they're all men. Like there's competent female assistants and associates. And obviously we we're going to have whatever that baddie is that I'm not remembering Magic could dispel. Yeah, she she'll be showing up at some point. But really there's one female character who shows up sometimes, and then there's the 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 two, the stern, like marm like like a governess character who also possibly occasionally but it's getting to be a problem for me. Is it just me? Did you notice this at all? No, I did notice it, and in part because one of the things, especially with this episode, is just, I was just constantly going Webby would have been able to solve all of these issues on her own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and which is why, like, she's not here is because they've made Webby so competent mm-hmm. that she can't be present because all of these dudes need to be in danger so that they can be rescued by Fenton's uh, Project Blatherskite. Um, yeah, no, you're you're completely right, and we also had just haven't seen uh, like Mrs. Beakley in what seems like forever, and that's a, that's kind of a larger problem because I actually really like that character a lot, and I feel like they're especially with how they're depicting Mrs. Beakley, there's plenty of stuff for them to do with that character, and they're opting not to have her involved in any of the adventures, which is really frustrating, um, especially also given her connection to Webby in this version and yeah it's it's really frustrating um and yeah it, i i was feeling it too i was feeling it too so it's not just you at all um yeah it, it isn't just you at all and i i do think that manuel miranda's performance in this sort of balances it out a little bit because he's very good he's very very good in this um but your point is really well taken and there needs Especially given that we were promised a lot with the fact that they've just dropped that magic to spell arc entirely for since it like we were just like, yeah, we're getting really close and now we're going to do eight other things. Um, yeah, it just seems really it, it's really lopsided. And then you factor in like the fact that we haven't that we're still searching for the nephews mother and in a weird well we got an answer by getting a non-answer sort of thing it's it's the gender imbalance like you said is starting to really seep into the show well and we don't need every woman on this show every female character we should say um to to be uber competent right to be to be like great at adventuring but maybe they have problems socially you know like it's just all the female characters we've seen have pretty much been that with the exception of Webby's friend. Yeah. And that, you know, there's no reason that can't be bumbling as well. Yeah. And Ma Beagle is sort of like straddles that line of being like the most competent of the Beagles. But at the same time, it's a very low bar to clear. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. 
um, since the Beagle Boys are not particularly smart. But, like, Ma Beagle is, like, at least more self-aware than the other Beagle Boys are. Um, but there's, they can only go to that well so often as well with the Beagle Boys, because they have so many other threats that they kind of want to depict. But it creates, like you said, this just imbalance of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it, like, it's, again, I get that wanting to remake an original show and really adhere to the characters and everything. I get that. But there's no reason Gizmo Duck has to be a dude. There's no reason. Yeah. And it really stands out. I appreciate the addition of Webby. I appreciate some of these other things. But when you keep returning to authority figures, when you keep returning to people who are going to save the day and who know stuff and who are funny and it's always, always men. It, I just, especially because this is a kid's show. I think of, like, this is, when I'm watching this show, I can't help but think about who's watching it and what that means and what that's teaching them, even, like, unintentionally. Because the kids are always, always learning. Which is frustrating at a time sometimes. Because <laughs> sometimes they're not learning what you want them to learn. <laughs> yeah, or they're learning things you don't realize that you're teaching them. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, do do better. Do better, DuckTales, because you're delightful and you're lovely. And just like, there's there's no reason to need this. But anyways, let's, uh, unless you have any other DuckTales thoughts. No, um, tell me how your last OG catch-up went. So I've caught up so far with up to episode five and I was so wrong. Like, I I don't think I was wrong about the pilot, but from the second episode, I liked it much better. And, um, you pointed out episode three and episode six, which I haven't gotten to yet, but I also loved swipe, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Lovely episode. Just about Trey going out on a date and it's so humanizing and interesting and sweet. And, like, immediately, they like, in the second episode, he gets a job at a coffee shop, and I think they correct a lot of the tonal issues and, like, the kind of the tired humor that we were seeing. Um, at least, for me, it was a big step up for episode two. And then just to take an episode that, you know, episode four, that isn't driven at all by the Trey Shea, like, interpersonal dynamic, the, it's, it's very much driven by where Trey's at with, in regards to Shay. But it's not just, okay, let's stick Tiffany Haddish and, and Tracy Morgan on screen together and have them yell at each other. Like, it's it's doing other things. It, and it's funny, but it's not driven by get to the punchline, get to the joke. It's just a very mm-hmm. human look at where he's at. It just, it wins you, it, like, wins you over to, to Trey. Like, it gets you on board with Trey in this really lovely, and again, I just keep going back to human way that... Uh, you know, he feels like a much more rounded character, which maybe isn't saying too much because he wasn't like at all in the first episode, and he's still a very heightened character. I wouldn't say this is a a very honest depiction of life for people fresh out of jail. Like I don't know if I would say anything about that, but I think that that it really is a step in the right direction for for the show and for what the show needs, so that we can invest in it. So. Uh, yeah, I'm fully on board, and I'm going to catch it all the way up in a couple episodes here. But this is one of the fastest turnarounds for me in a, that I've seen in a while. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't steer you wrong on oh, this. Oh, no, not at uh, all. I didn't think I would, just based on like the escalation uh, that the show takes. But yeah, and your point about it being really humanizing, I think, is really important. 
and it goes a long way into helping establish Trey. And I, I think his casual mentions of calling this woman Shay um, speak to like what you were, where he was, but it also it manages to get in like some of the show's like gentrification uh, jabs in as well with the 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 guy who's running the restaurant basically stealing his dessert mm-hmm. um which i appreciate like that that's still a through line that the show is um following but not leaning really heavily on which is again goes back to the pilot of like h- hitting those notes really hard hitting that gentrification discussion in a not particularly interesting way this is a way to keep it going um while not being about that because by recentering the show on Trey's sort of reacclimation to all of it, I think really makes the show a lot better and a lot stronger. So I, I was I was also really happy with that episode. Uh, it was just one that I sort of half watched and then watched the second half again because of where my video on demand service sort of freaked mm-hmm. out on me. Um, so when I rewatched the second half, I just went, oh, this is a lot better than I was giving it credit for earlier. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm very glad that you caught up and that it was, that it was clicking. Yeah. Well, and like, just that episode, you you keep waiting for him. Okay. Well, how's he going to screw up the date? How's he going to screw up the date? And it's such like, they don't go for that punchline. They go for, yeah. and they, they go for the Shay thing and they do it several times. And the, the payoff to that isn't like the date throwing a fit or being like justifiably very upset about it but her responding again very humanely because she's been like she's got an ex that was really significant she's got kids like so she gets you know like her initial response of like huh okay and then but then still seeing the date through and then when it happens again at the train um i just i thought it was great and and, like having the restaurant right to steal his dessert is great for the threads about gentrification but it's also great because it validates that character he's such a cartoonish yes. character but that ridiculous opening to the episode in episode two where he's making his his dessert loaf <laughs> yeah uh like finding out two episodes later actually no it is it is really good <laughs> like th- it's great to see that so he's not just a punchline he's not just a joke he also apparently makes really delicious dessert loaf <laughs> yeah and uh, you, know? you know it looks kind of tasty still i mean it doesn't look great but you can think about eating it and go yeah I'm, I'm, i bet that does actually kind of taste okay it looks like something that they would serve at like milk yeah from yeah it looks exactly like something that they would serve at milk in the puppy chow vein you know yeah absolutely yeah yeah no definitely so so i've been really um i'm not i wouldn't say pleasantly surprised because you know i you told me it got better so i expected it was that it would be better but i didn't expect to have such a quick i figured like okay well i'm gonna power through episode two then episode three will probably you know be be a click better and then by the time we get to six that's when it'll like i didn't expect it to click so quickly for me so thank you noel you're welcome I would not have gone on about it, and I also would have done a little bit of, like, internal judginess when people talked about it, but, like, okay. Why didn't he say something? Well, no, 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 but I mean, like, when people are like, oh, I really like the last OG, I'd have been like, hmm, you know? Oh, one of those type. One of those, you know, like, interesting sense of humor, or like, okay, it's not that good kind of thing, but so I'm glad that I was saved from my own judginess, (laughs) (laughs) presuppositions. Um, by yourself and by the show really stepping it up let's talk i mean stepping it up right let's pivot over to drag race and breast world mm-hmm. and they need to step up their writing because that was not a good sketch 
And nope. everyone pretty much did a terrible job. What did you think of the sketch within the episode? Rest yeah, the sketch, the sketch within the episode was really bad. Um, a lot of it relied on it just sort of being like robot jokes. Um, which is a weird sort of choice to make because it doesn't feel like it's grounded in parroting Westworld, really. No, not um, at all. Well, it's like the Handmaid's Tale thing. It just takes the title and one thing about it and doesn't actually understand uh, what it's know, doing. The, the source material enough to actually draw anything significant from it in the parody. Correct. And so, like, a little joke about, well, it makes more sense in episode f- by episode four is, like, cute. But then there's 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 literally no other notes. So when like Ross Matthews is hitting uh, Cameron for like being only reaching one note, I'm just like the sketch really only hits one note. And the fact that Monet and Asia were able to find different levels is speaks to their abilities. And the fact that Monet was ad libbing for most of it, I also think speaks to the weakness of this particular sketch. That the, that Monet was just like, eh, I'm just going to punch this up a little bit, do an uncredited rewrite. And I think that, that helps them, but it it makes everyone else who got ha- was sticking to the script just look worse by comparison. Well, or just that they didn't have, yeah, I'm sure other people could have thrown stuff in. Just they yeah. aren't, that's not their skill set. Uh, Correct. But yeah. I mean... I I need to watch the lip sync again because I was not particularly wowed by it. I thought it was solid, but I didn't think yeah. it was amazing. Uh, I've seen uh, different responses. Most people seem uh, much more impressed with it than I was. But after Eureka's performance in this, I was like, I the narrative says she can't be eliminated. So when Cameron did a better lip sync than her, I was like, ah, interesting. And then, of course, we did the double chante, so they could both say, I was like, okay, well, that makes sense, because I would be very surprised if Rue was actually willing to eliminate Eureka at this point, and the editors hadn't done more work to, you know, get us ready for it. But her performance in this was just not good. And normally this, you know, but normally this is the kind of thing that she's done really well on. But every other acting challenge that she's had, or character-based challenge, she's done the same character <laughs> as the Vixen called her out for i mean i think the vixen was not very uh justified in all of her reasoning and all the things that she was saying but she was right when she said eureka keeps playing the same character and doing really well because that's her very limited range here she's asked to do something just a little bit different like think about what Alyssa edwards would have done with shooting that guy right oh man it would have been incredible (laughs) and 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 she barely's like boop i gotcha it's like that i mean Come on, Eureka. Right. I mean, it's sort of like a get into it. Like, Laura Jordan is not able to shoot a blaster in Star Wars without saying pew. Then <laughs> you should at least be able <laughs> to really sell shooting uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the guys, mm-hmm. um, one of the pit crew members. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. Well, and, it's- and to not step on a very basic line of dialogue, you know, from Karen. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... Yeah, it was just a really weak, it was a very weak sketch overall that resulted in a sort of blah, sort of overall um, challenge. And I I do think that your point about the limp sync is correct. It was strong. I also do think that the, a, a number of like choices that they had to make in terms of the editing were a little weird as well. Cause I mean, Eureka like travels all the way to the back of the stage and then comes, um, 
comes all the way forward again. But so they can they only focus on Cameron in that moment and Eureka's back is to the camera and thus to the judges. And she's like, I'm just like, oh no, Eureka doesn't know the words. Oh no, she's hiding the limp sink back there. And then it's like, it's part of the performance, but it also really limits like how the audience is able to evaluate a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and which is why, again, like it results in it feeling like I'm having to rely on the fact that the judges are clearly enjoying it more than I am <laughs> to know how much, how good this lip sync is because they're getting a whole picture. I'm getting a very sort of chopped up sort of approach slash elongated through the editing that limits my appreciation for it to a certain degree. And so that, that was also really, really frustrating. Um, I didn't really get to see the runway looks except in the judges discussion because my uh, video on demand for whatever reason just went, eh, here's some more commercials as they're about to do them. Um, so I didn't, I got to see them in like flashbacks and then like during judges critiques. So what did you think about the uh, runway looks today? For I this week, mostly- I should say pretty good i liked mm-hmm. um i you know i liked the the comedic ones i thought that asia and monet were both really fun i i thought that the higher fashion ones worked really well and i really liked cameron's character work that she yes. did as well as the makeup was fantastic it was uh, so, so good yeah i mean and like when you're stand- looking at that runway it's like yeah eureka you didn't bring it and you didn't yeah. bring it into things so it really felt like eureka's week to go but this, you know, then again, the power of reality show editing tells me that she can't be eliminated, you know, this early. She they're setting her up to be at least final three. So, you know, that's hence hence a little bit of cognitive dissonance. As I was expecting Miss Cracker to go home based on the way that they were editing everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um or to be in the bottom and then and then have to lip sync and then lose the lip sync to like Eureka. Uh, or or to Cameron, and so when that didn't happen, it was, uh, and it was Eureka versus Cameron. I was like, huh, I guess they're sending home Cameron. Okay, fair enough. She didn't do very well. And then when it was, you know, looking like it would be Eureka, I was, I was actually very surprised. It was a, it was a fun moment just because I was looking forward to being surprised by the show again in a way that it hasn't really, you know, they've been this very heavy handed with the editing, um, recently. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was a good runway and interesting runway with some different ideas. And that was super fun. So at least there was that. And what did you think of the mini challenge? Uh, it was fine. I mean, we've seen something like this before, right? I feel like we have. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fine. I didn't really like respond one way or the other. It's one of those that this is semi-interesting for the audience, but it's not, like, exciting for the audience to watch them play a match game with product placement. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. it, it was, it was. Uh, I think, the right amount of time. You yes, know? yeah. Which I think yeah. is good. Uh, I, and I appreciated the queens. I, I think they could have gone even more for the humor, because that's obviously what you're supposed to do here. And some of them did, and some of them just seemed a little too distracted to even necessarily do that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was it was fine. It was fun, and again, not too long, so that was good. Uh, any final thoughts on Drag Race, or you know, who, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Oh, I didn't get to watch a lot of <laughs> I didn't get to watch a lot of stuff this week. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine was uh, pretty good this week as well. Um, I'm looking forward to the finale. Um, but I think I'll give it to. 
I guess DuckTales, at least just for Man- Manuel's performance, but I think that's sort of like where I fall. I didn't watch a lot of TV this week, Kate. Uh, <laughs> what about you? What won your week in comedy or reality? Well, Barry's really good. We're going to talk about that in a lot, yeah. in a bit here. Um, and I also, like, don't don't mess with Louise, lady, with your food truck. Just don't do <laughs> ah, it. Ah, 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 ah. It's not a good call. Uh, so I, I enjoyed... Um, I enjoyed Bosberger's quite a bit, but I'll, I think, I think of these this week, um, I guess the Silicon Valley finale. Um, uh, but other, other than that, it would be last OG. Um, uh, but I like just watch that. So I might have a little recency bias. So I, I'll, I'm going to give it to the Silicon Valley finale because there was a lot of really fun stuff in there. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it to that. Now we'll take a break, listen to some more music and come back with our weekend drama and genre. in drama and genre we're going to kick things off with the premiere of the most recent little women adaptation this is episode one then we'll move over to killing eve take me to the hole <laughs> i'll talk briefly about the timeless finale and the arrow finale uh so timeless is the general in chinatown and arrow is life sentence and then we'll round things out with supergirl shelter from the storm so first up is little women which is a three-part adaptation or three-hour adaptation and this aired over in the UK in uh, like 2017, last last fall, I want to say. And it's airing here this week. And then by the, by the time you hear this, it'll be tomorrow will be the next uh, episode. But we were initially going to do like a, a spotlight on Little Women after it had all aired. But then we watched episode one and went, oh, I'm not going to have much to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that kind of spells out most of what we have to say about this. Um, I think it's fine. And I think Emily uh, Emily Watson is really good, and as as the mom. And like my main other takeaways, the the kids are fine, and uh, Amy's way too old. Why would you cast a twenty one year old to play a twelve year old? Uh, that actress is really great. I was looking forward to watching her on Wayward Sisters, assuming that show had actually gotten picked up. Like I really wanted it to, but she's like. Why Why would you cast someone who is older than your actress playing Joe to play the youngest sister, the youngest March sister? It's I'm, it, boggled, it boggled my mind through the entire... Like, it really put, recontextualized and put made, made a problem for me out of the first episode of Little Women. Um, am I just over-invested in Little Women, Noel? What, what did you think? No, I don't think you're over-invested in Little Women. I think that decision is very bizarre. And it it made things feel really weird and awkward. And I think that like the most, and I was talking about this with a little bit with a friend of mine who also watched this. It, it makes um, Amy 
because of the obvious, like, they age that character up, clearly, because they can't hide the fact that this woman is in her 20s. But they've shifted Amy from being sort of a spoiled, well, as spoiled as these girls can get, and sort of haughty preteen, to feeling like a really malicious and um, petulant teenager. Like, the decision to burn Joe's manuscript is just, it feels less motivated by the act of a child and more like a mean girl sort of thing. And that's just a bizarre vibe for little women to have. Um, And it also, like, results in things like the break in the ice not feel necessarily as life-threatening or life, life, life as big of a threat because it's just like, okay, yes, this is how anyone of this age would reply to this sort of a situation but it doesn't have that same degree of urgency when it's just like oh no it's it's a small child or a reasonably about to be in a, a pre-adolescent child and that sucks a lot of like the drama out of it as well so it's just it's a very bizarre choice and i was not particularly fond of it and it sort of it didn't weigh down this episode which i think works generally fine as an adaptation but it's it it changes the dynamics of the sister, particularly Joe and Amy, just way too much. And I think that the decision is entirely motivated by the fact that they didn't want to do two different, they didn't want to do two different castings for later on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I just think of the, the nineties adaptation and, yeah. you know, Kirsten Dunst, you know, and I know that recasting within the span of like such a short Thing might be not, not the approach they want to take but it really is effective because then you can get someone who actually looks their age and i was as i was watching this that's what i kept being struck by as someone who works with kids every day who's surrounded you know, in my working life with people who are you know from age four to age 17 12 to 16, which is the age difference of the characters at the start of, of Little Women of Amy and Joe, Joe the eldest and uh, and Amy the youngest. That's a big four years. It's a very, like, it can be a huge four years. And especially, like, I felt like Joe seemed way too old, let alone everybody else, you know? And and so and, and so that's what prompted me to look up the ages and be like, oh, no, that actor is actually only 19. I mean, yes. 16 to 19 is also a significant three years, but compared to the actor playing, um, you know, the youngest being 21, uh, it, it really took me, because then I had to keep kind of reimagining the characters instead of just appreciating what the actors were doing. I was trying to watch what they were doing and then filter it through the lens of, okay, but they wouldn't actually look like this or sound like this. They would be, they should, you know, sound and look like, my 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 year olds that I see, you know, cause that really like, like the burning the manuscripts is a perfect example rather than being an impulsive move by a bratty, but you know, just understandably bratty, that was the word I was looking for. Yeah. To. Impulsive 12 year old. That feels like a much more. And, and then as soon as it's happened, she uh, like almost immediately regrets it, but it's too late, you know? And so then you, then she doubles down, you know, like I didn't get any of that nuance from the from, from the performance and part of it is because i didn't it, it's way like bratty looks way worse on a 16 year old than it does on a 12 year old doesn't look great on a 12 year old 
but but there's a big difference there. Um, so yeah, so and because of that, because I kept re you know casting in my in my mind the performances and their choices, and you know like seeing an actual sixteen year old at that party, right, feels very in, or like an like a fifteen year old getting hit on by a nineteen year old, twenty year old, twenty two year old, however old that that coaches tutor uh, that. You know, that, which at the time that this is set is not like some gross age difference, you know, like it's much not as inappropriate or unusual an age difference for that kind of courting as we would expect, say now. But still, I was like trying to recontextualize that the whole time and it really distracted me from it. And um, that's an issue I have with a lot of shows that are supposed to be actually like set, like realistic in their emotions and their characters that are featuring teenagers. You know, other than, you know, your your most my so-called lives and your uh, uh, freaks and geeks, you know, like like freaks and geeks. Right. Perfect example. The, the, those kids on freaks and geeks. That's Amy. Right. That's that's very, very different than what we get here. And um, and in something like Little Women, when their age, it, that's what the title comes from. It's like that not young woman yet it's like young woman but even like less than that like earlier than that like tweens basically little women means tweens <laughs> tweens and teens uh and so i just wish more shows would be willing to and, and especially short form like miniseries like this would be willing to to double cast for the younger or you know like the crown is doing it right like there's plenty of reasons if you can find people who are good enough actors it would really help with with something like this for me if they would be willing to recast, but you know, so it goes. So anyways, I've, I've been rambling a lot. This is fine, but I was hoping it would be much more than fine. And so far it's just fine. I will probably watch the rest of it just for complete completionism. But, um, and I mean, Gambin is great. And yeah. Emily Watson. Lansbury's really good. Oh, she's, she's the best part of this. She's delightful. Yeah. Just like watch and fast forward until you get to Angela Lansbury. Cause like definitely watch it for her. Yeah, no, she's, she's just, delightful the way that she the way that she just spits out the line that bird's a lot like me you can smell a pappas from 10 yards away it was just like this is very good (laughs) (laughs) yeah no definitely it's terrible it's terribly horrible thing to say but she delivers it very very well (laughs) yeah well and that was another scene where i was watching this and it was so fabulous uh but joe looks too old (laughs) you know like leaning sullen and leaning back in your chair and waiting for you know for for your the the great aunt to fall asleep when you're a fresh face 16 is looks very different <laughs> or feels very different than if you seem like you should be an an adult you know if you feel like a teenager versus you feel like an adult that has it feels different so oh well i'm getting too hung up on these things i would imagine is what most people would say but here, this is where I am at. I am not hung up on the details of Killing Eve. And if I were, it wouldn't matter because they're amazing. We had another excellent episode, Take Me to the Hole. And um, yeah, were you surprised by some of the twists and turn we, turns we got here? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I appreciated how like the web's getting really kind of sticky and complicated here. And that we're never entirely sure, especially within this episode, I feel like while Eve's uh, supervisor, whose name I can't remember, um, Fiona Shaw, <laughs> yeah, Fiona Shaw, um, has never felt particularly like on the level. I just sort of chalk that up to 
well, she's a spy. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But in this episode, it like gets sort of recontextualized a little bit for me in that, oh, are we, what's this end game? Are you leading some faction within the 12 here that you're trying to ferret out by doing this through your own off books operation here? Or like the degrees to which like this is getting kind of muddied, I think is really interesting and really compelling. So I like that. I like how Eve is stuck for want of a better term, and I'm looking forward to her breaking out, because um, that's going to be fun. And so I, I like a number of the things that are sort of, like, getting tight here. I like Eve sort of going off on her own to a certain certain degree to try to get the information that she wants. So I think there's a number of really good things happening as we move into, like, the last couple of episodes here, because we only have two left, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited to see where this where this goes from here. Um how did you feel about it? I thought it, you know, worked really well. Um I the the thing that I take away from this episode more than anything else, the part that stuck with me more than anything else is actually the the fight with Eve and her husband and Oh, it's so good. And like she straight up hits her husband. And that is straight up spousal abuse. And the way that I really appreciated that that's how they treated it. Like the performance from, I should look up the actor's name. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know his name, but the, the actor playing the husband, like the physical recoil, like the, the, the amount of space of time before a reaction. And then the immediate, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Like all that justification. It's felt like one of the rare times that when I'm watching a show and we see a, a female character hit a male character where if you actually reverse the genders, the responses would feel appropriate. You know, the yes. kind of the way that we expect a woman hit by a man and like a partner to respond. And and with the like if, where it felt appropriate, where it wasn't a punchline, where we weren't supposed to think that she was right or he deserved it. You know, like I really appreciated that. And I hope that they commit to that ugliness and what that means. And don't let her come back from Russia and like, oh, she's apologetic, but we're just going to move on and pretend that you didn't just physically assault your husband uh, because he said something that you thought was mean um, or you thought was a little too honest. Uh, so so I that has stuck with me in a big way. So there's all these like twists and turns with with Fiona Shaw's character and with Lionel um, um, or Oksana. And Constantine and all that stuff, which was really interesting and well done and compelling. And I look forward to seeing what the fallout is with Fiona Shaw and uh, the character's son and all of that. But I, I that's still what I come back to. The, the betrayal, apparently, by Constantine at the end. And, you know, you know, if Eve is going to end up be end up being the one who gets her out of there, who knows? But um that's that's what I keep coming back to. Uh, it was a compelling and and again well acted, well written, well paced, and all that stuff episode. But that's what we expect from Killing Eve. What did you have a moment like that that stuck out, stuck out more? I don't feel like anything else in particular. I I did really like the fight scene in the kitchen. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. Um, in the same way that like it's it sort of like recalls the um the club the club scene except by minimizing the amount of people they still even by minimizing like the amount of people present within the crowd basically 
it still feels really um, tense and it still feels really brutal. And the execution both of characters but also of the scene, I think, again, feel it feels really parallel and purposefully so. So I really like that sort of um, fight staging blocking symmetry that they achieve with this and that i felt really worked very well yeah what do you expect for these last two is there anything in particular you're looking forward to oh gosh i don't know because i I don't i don't really want to like anticipate anything since i think i'd be more anticipatory in terms of trying to figure out what they were going to do if i knew a second season wasn't happening um yeah or if they like this was it but because of that i sort of just have been trying not to think about the show in those terms because I just I want to be very surprised by what happens and I don't want to like predict my way out of this um is there anything in particular that you have your sights set on though um I will be very curious to see if they tried to make Villanelle Roxana straight up protagonist hero which I, they might, they might ride the line, but I think so far they've done a very good job of keeping her a incredibly compelling sociopathic murderer and keeping Eve a potentially dark um, or like dark and twisty kind of straight up protagonist. And I, I hope that they don't go a Hannibal series finale with it Mm -hmm. yeah but i wouldn't put it past a lot of shows to do that and a lot of fans to want that to be the answer um but i feel like that is less interesting i think it's more interesting when characters do actually have hard lines rather than everything becomes gray and that's the message i think if like a lot of things are gray but there are still some hard lines in who they are, in their identity. Um, that's a more compelling source of tension. So we will see. Friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, has already seen the finale and says it's amazing. So I'm sure it is. And I'm hashtag mean, screener I envy. I can also watch it, but I choose not to. Well, hashtag screener envy to you as well, Noel, because you have more restraint than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also like. I've gotten to the point where I try not to watch like too far ahead on shows like this because a I will end up conflating the episode that we discussed that week with something I've watched at, that comes later and I worry about spoiling, and then that is like my primary issue. But then it's also a well I'll forget about it in the time between when we discuss it and when I've watched it. So it's a it's a combination of things. But it it was very hard because. I had to watch the screener for this week's episode since I didn't have access to BBC America this week. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, but they're right there. The last two episodes are right there. And I'm making <laughs> grabby hands at my screen cage. So yeah. many grabby hands. And then I'm just like, no, be good. Be good, Noel. Be good. <laughs> for those wondering why we haven't been talking about The Handmaid's Tale, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's also because I have not, I've been, I've done a very poor job of keeping up. Well, understandably, it's not the kind of bingeable show. But the point being, like, yeah. I was like, which episode are they up to? Have they caught up to the how many I watched yet? No? Okay. Well, I don't remember where any episode starts and ends. So I'll talk about it when I caught up. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good times. Well, speaking of good times, Timeless had its finale. 
this week, the general in Chinatown, the general, uh, they, in the general, they go back to the civil war and they meet Harriet Tubman and, uh, they have to do they meet the harriet tubman because if they don't meet underground's harriet tubman then it's no. not harriet tubman they meet a different harriet tubman <laughs> who is nowhere near as awesome and badass as the underground harriet tubman but that's not her fault the actor does a good job the writing actually i think is pretty good um but they have like half of an episode so i mean of course it can't be as good but there was a real concerted effort made with uh rufus and harriet's scenes and conversations um which to, to they they talked the writers room talked with the actors and they were very conscious of um the role of, like of this this black man from from our time going back and meeting Harry Tubman and what does that mean and what like him examining his privilege um and in in just being like talking in talking with her and what that feels like there was an awareness to this that it just really highlights how terrible most of the time travel shows we've seen have done with this time period. Like, Legends, you're great. Why are you having black characters interact with slave owner, you know, George Washington and just like not talking about it? Like, you know, or when they do do the slavery episode, like scenes and episodes, it's just like bad. It's not well written. It's not well considered. Like, this really highlighted how much better that could be. Um, so props to the writers on that and the performers. Uh, it was a, it was a fun episode, and you know you know I'm always going to appreciate any episode that gives Harriet Tubman her due. Um, the in, within the obviously the very light and fluffy context of what this show is. So I mean, go watch Underground if if you want to if you want to see Octavia Spencer on Drunk History <laughs> and Underground Asia Hines on on on, uh, on Underground. Go watch Minty and just have your mind blown. Um, but that was, that was, that was very strong. And then the, the finale last episode is Chinatown, um, which sends the, the time team to, uh, to San Francisco and fulfills, uh, the, deals with the prophecy that one of the characters had about Rufus getting killed. Um, there's a fun thing with about Klingon sending a message through time using a Klingon woven into a rug (laughs) in a historical book, which is super fun. And, um, I I just thought it was a really strong finale. The setup they have at the very end for next season, should it get renewed, is exciting and compelling. And uh, we'll see if it gets renewed. So far, there hasn't been an announcement made about it, either a cancellation or a pickup. Other shows, they've announced the cancellation, but they haven't for this one yet. So it's kind of in limbo. I'm going to talk about this more over at TV Party this week, where we're doing like a whole deep dive on timeless uh, so i so i'll just kind of leave it there you guys can go listen to tv party if you want a fuller conversation about it but uh i, I was on the fence about this show and then this like i said i talked about last week the previous episode said in the 80s uh where the the lead of uh the female lead of gallivant is the like younger version of one of the the characters you know in the 80s 80s and then the this episode with harriet tubman and then the finale with chinatown like they really got me on board with timeless so uh if it does come back i will be super on board right like watching from the premiere so fingers crossed that it does get picked up um over on arrow we had our finale life sentence and it was fine um i know some people are really upset about about how it ends um but i think for the most part having ollie come out as the the green arrow and like announce his identity publicly and get her and make a deal where everybody else gets immunity but he has to go to jail um, for for all the different illegal things he's done, 
I think makes sense and is a good setup for next year. And I'm sure that they'll there'll be a reason like Diaz will like break him out so that he can kill him or something. I don't know. They'll fix it next year. Uh, but uh, I think it makes sense for the finale. I, I saw a lot of people really upset that once again, <laughs> Ollie's keeping secrets from Felicity and the show didn't seem to notice that or care about that. <laughs> um, it would be great if they would, you know, actually have the two of them get on board on some of these things instead of being like, but we want Emily Bet Richards cry face. So that's what we're going to do instead. We'll do like the secret so she can be, you know, it can be a twist and then she, we can watch her react. It, it's just like not interesting anymore, guys. It's not, it's not compelling or surprising. So hopefully they are, have now officially done, gotten to that well and we're all good. I thought that not killing Diaz in the finale um, made sense given how much they've built up that character. Uh, they're going to have to come up with some new things for next season with him because they've done as much as they can with the current iteration of the character. But I think he also, the, I mean, Kirk Acevedo is a, is a strong actor. He's a really good actor and he's a strong presence that he works well on the show as long as they know, like use him in the right way, um, use the character in the right way. So if they can come up with more things for him to be doing than just glowering and punching things, that will be a strong way to start the next season. I don't think you can get a full season out of it though. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but I thought it was fine. And I think as far as like a way to bring the team back together so that they can, you know, the rest of the Arrow team can be ready for season seven. I think, I think it mostly works and um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I apparently still watch the show. Like if this show, this episode aired anywhere else in the week, like right now I have like two shows, three shows on, on Thursdays. So like I end up watching it, but if it was like a Sunday or Monday show or heaven forbid, like was it Tuesday is one of our crazy days, which is, I would have fallen so far behind, but it just happens to air on a day when there's like, if I'm caught up by then, it's like, well, I guess Arrow. Sure. Let's watch Arrow. (laughs) (laughs) and that's my level of commitment to it i'm actually really intrigued by the twist of the supernatural finale so i might like go back and catch up with supernatural if i can power through them always killing women which i don't know if i'll be able to but i'm actually really intrigued what that means for the next season so maybe i'll swap out arrow and supernatural next season on my viewing but I don't know. We'll see. Do you have any questions about arrow? Are you feeling, are you glad that you stuck with, Oh, they killed, they killed Captain Lance, which we, weren't surprised by um were you were you happy that were you happy that sarah showed up to finally remember she has a family um no because yes but no because they didn't react to it they Mm -hmm. had her show up um and they had like two scenes and that's not enough so like they either need to do way more or way less but this this finale wasn't where they were going to be able to give her time to respond to it you know what i mean yeah. Um, because there's just so much other stuff going on. There, there, there are actual characters on the show that need re- to re- to reply. Like they have her show up, and she's too late. Her dad's already gone into surgery, and then the doctor comes out, and he's died. And so, like, we don't even. And she gets so like she gets a scene interacting with Black Siren, and then she gets like she shows up later, and there, there you see her like hug Felicity. You know when the announcement, you know that he's that uh, her dad has died. So you get to see her react like a little bit, but that's it. Cause there just isn't space in the episode. So I, I mean, I get why they wanted to bring her back, but that wasn't, a, you know, a good enough reason. Um, so they should have just had her find out on legends, I think. And then that, or like, I mean, imagine if she finds out while they're on a beach in Aruba, you know, 
that that there there's so much more you can do with her reaction and like you know i should have been like in guilt and all these other things if if she had time but the last 10 minutes of of the season finale here was not especially when oliver gets arrested and goes to jail and like you know felicity and william have to go into hiding and like all these different things are happening like there's not time here so uh, i w- i think it was a very odd choice and i'm not sure why they did it yeah no oh, that sounds like it i mean she's not going to have a whole lot of time cuz she has to start hu- hunting down demons and monsters and fairy tale creatures in yeah. the next season of legends of tomorrow so eh. well i mean like that seems like like why is she here that yeah. would have been a great way to to give a reason for her to not be in an episode of legends next year yes. depending on the filming schedules for things especially if they're doing another crossover thing right and they need Which to they explain are. why characters aren't around yeah um and then you have the funeral and she shows up for the funeral like that would have made way more sense and then you actually spend time with her you actually spend time with like like black siren and you can actually develop your character who's actually on the show you can have her in and felicity and like there's more you can do there um if she gets like an episode like a full episode where she comes home you know that would have been much more like compelling. So I, it's it's an odd choice, but you know, yeah, I'm not gonna complain that she's there. <laughs> Katie Lots is great. Um, yeah. yeah. Any other Arrow thoughts, or is it time for Supergirl? It's time for Supergirl. Um, so this was uh, Shelter from the Storm, and I'll give you a quick break because you've been talking for a little while. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, this episode is sort of a, I'm, I'm, I really want to know what happened during the production shutdown of things that were happening to sort of get us here and what, what was involved in that process. Cause we don't know why they shut down production. So a lot of, but we're, we're feeling like the rejiggering stuff. Like we felt it last week a little bit and we're feeling it again this week of the whole sort of well this is why we didn't wake up the other legionnaires and also monel you should stay and the sort of like sudden realizations that they needed to figure out ways to justify a number of certain actions including like this idea that rain suddenly doesn't become blight even though she has pestilence's abilities and it's just like well that that seems a little weird but also, time travel is magic in the Arrowverse, so it also doesn't matter. Uh, it's just one of those things where everything sort of feels a little squishy. But at the same time, you can it it results in like some character interactions and feeling like weirdly delayed or just sort of from left field. So, like Carr's response to Kryptonite is sort of, like, really ridiculous and very over-the-top because it's legitimately just, like, you used Kryptonite for training, like, a year ago. And so this sudden decision that you can't trust Lena with Kryptonite feels really bizarre and unmotivated. And then it's just like, but you need it type of thing. And that's sort of, like, the core of this episode is that Lena Luthor is correct about everything. (laughs) And I like that impulse in term, but that's largely because I like Lena. But I also feel like the show sort of wants to break that relationship in a number of different ways because they're not particularly happy that people have been that gung ho about the idea of 
uh, uh, um, Supercore. And this is a weirdly like shipping conspiracy theory that I'm advancing here. I I recognize that, but it's just like, all right, well, we've broken car, we've broken Supergirl and Lena up enough that now we have to like start with Lena providing an unfiltered response to this woman that she does not know is Supergirl still somehow, and it's oh, just I think she does, but oh, you you do okay okay. Yeah. I, can, I think it's I a cat can... grass situation. I think she's twisting the knife because okay. she's pissed off that Kara hasn't told her. I like your reading a lot more. Um... <laughs> it's better. It might not be true. This might be a yeah. a BB is the is the eye situation where our head cannon is actually a much better idea than what's on screen. But yeah, you know. and I I do think that's what's happening. But so there's just all this rejiggering and like a lot of like papering because it's just like DEO's angry that she had rain except that they put her back in the LexCorp little cell initially and it's just like guys I need you to make a make a decision here about how I'm supposed to feel about all this tension between the two of you and your 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 decision is meh we had this set built so we can't we can't do we 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 should keep using it is how it feels justified um at the same time there are a number of things that i sort of like in this like i like lex's cloaked mansion i thought that was really great but i don't like how it gets revealed by alex just being a really sloppy secret agent (laughs) of leaving her cell phone lying around and so it's a number of things where i just desperately want to know what happened behind the scenes to get us to this point, even if I sort of enjoy, like, some of the fight scenes and, like, Rain's Rain's booby trap walk through that mansion is very Lex and it's very good, and I just wanted more of that. And I like the showdown in, like, the vault of stuff, and I thought that worked really well. But it's... We're seeing the rejiggering and how we're sort of going through it, and I I'm not sure that it's working to the show's benefit right now even if i'm liking sort of like some of the stuff that we're getting with rain how did you feel about the episode i um i like some of it and i i can a lot of it is really stupid so you know it's basically what you're saying and it just feels so arbitrary all the stuff with the the kryptonite with supergirl is just i mean and don't get melissa benoist is selling it as best yeah. as she can she's doing a good job but it's absolutely irrational and horribly written and it, it feels very strongly manipulated so that we can get lena turns evil yes and what a betrayal of what a, of such a great character that they've done such terrific work on establishing and a lovely subversion of of the the Luther mythology throughout the different Superman adaptations and what a lovely statement on the stereotypes about women friendships and uh women uh, in power being able to collaborate and work together and not be out to get each other um so just one of the best things about this show has been the way they've handled Lena with the exception of like her, some of the love interest stuff, certainly with James, like they're doing better. If you're going to do Lena and James, I think they've done a good job with it. I just think they shouldn't have done it. And I don't think it's really working, but I mean, on the scale of things that is, they've done a good job with a stupid love, you know, love, love interest. Certainly he works better 
the stuff they're they're writing for James here and for Mackay Brooks uh, is de- better than the, when they were trying to do um, him and uh, uh, James and, and and Kara. But like, still, like, I don't think that part is working. But just all the all the hoops that they're having to jump through, um, it's just so much less interesting. But just the plot necessitates tension between Lena and Supergirl, because if they were actually on the same page, they would solve this. They would fix it. Like, there wouldn't be any problems, you know? And that's that's sloppy and boring writing, and it's a shame to watch them whittle away at one of the absolute strengths of their show. The female friend, like, we talked about the whole first half of the season. It was, like, the best part of the show are all the scenes with the ladies. (laughs) Because they're more more interesting and nuanced and developed and uh, surprising. All the highlights of this show... In the first se- the first half of the season, were were those friendship scenes and those conversations and the tensions and 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 everything. So, I mean, I think especially when that scene we get in the elevator with Lena and Kara, they're tipping heavily their hand to her knowing that Supergirl is Kara is Supergirl, and but also differentiate like understanding that that Kara is her friend and loves her and everything. Like they're they're really tight, but still being hurt. By, like so I feel like Lena is de- separating out those two identities and un- and like can understand and appreciate Supergirl doesn't trust her but Kara is still her friend like that both of those things exist and I if if that is what they're doing that I appreciate that level of nuance and um what that says about Lena however if it's not what they're doing Lena's, Lena's an idiot and I'm not okay with that so yeah it's tough the um the stuff they're doing with Jean and his dad is great. I think yes. that's, that's really but, lovely. I like that they ha- didn't just have Mern disappear, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, after his, well, his... you signed you signed Cara Lumley for a number of episodes. Yeah, exactly. You're use them. Um, you should, that stuff's certainly. Really, yeah, you should is the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the Alex, the terrible super agent, secret agent, is, is not great. Um, they haven't done a good job with, with her in quite a while. And setting up her to be, you know, Ruby's adoptive parent next season is is just very, yeah, it's very on the nose and like not well, just not well done. It's like you, yes, you're close with Ruby, but Lena has known her much, much, much longer and you're treating Lena like, but let me go to her. Like, why? Why would you, should you go to her right. because and check on her when Lena, who's known her her entire life, it seems, isn't. You know, like that's insane. So they haven't. They're forgetting their own history and mythology, and when yeah. it's convenient for what they want to set up for next year, and that's just tiresome. The yeah. the stuff with uh, Monel and with Brainy and and Imra Irma. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like I like the Imra Monel stuff. I hope that they just like. I, I, the, where they seem to get Supergirl and Monel too was a good place. I felt the way that they they ended things when he was theoretically going back to the back to the future and the back to the future joke too um, was good. But uh, I'm not that interested. Again, it just feels very much like we want to have more caramel stuff, so that's what we're going to do this as opposed to because it's organic for the story. So I'm I'm just I'm way more down on this last part of the season than I was hoping I would be based on the strength of the start of the season. I am too, and it's 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 very frustrating, and which is why I just desperately want to know what happened during this production shutdown to this, that uh, resulted in this. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, what wins your week in drama and genre? 
Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I do want to give a... Yeah, it's pretty obvious, but I do want to give like a little shout out to uh, Flash's opening with Devoe, um, whatchamacallit, attacking the Argus facility. Um, that was that was a very Arrow-esque sort of sequence that Flash executed there, and it generally worked really well, though I had questions about how Devoe got out of that unbreakable prison um, from the previous <laughs> episode, that he was just out. And I just went... That's not how that works when something's unbreakable, guys. But it was a very good sequence. Um, so I liked that. But um, what wins my week is obviously, take me to the hole! Um, <laughs> and Killing Eve. Uh, it's the Killing Eve Award at this point, I feel like. But what about you? What won your week? The Americans was so good. Yeah. Again, it, uh, like, uh, yeah. And it's going to be terrible. So bad. It's going to be so bad. It's going to tear you up so bad. But it's going to be so good while it's being so yeah. bad. Um, This episode was just like so much. There's so much great Elizabeth stuff in this episode. And next week's episode is title is Jennings, Elizabeth. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know that, that <laughs> nothing good's happening with that title. Um, So, yeah. But it was it was real, real good. And um, I'm just going to leave it there. Otherwise, I'll go into a whole thing about it. But the Americans definitely wins my week in drama and genre. Though Killing Eve is doing its best to contend. But I mean, like, they got six seasons to build upon. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Killing Eve doesn't really have a chance. Um, Now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer or some music, and come back with our spotlight on season one of Barry. These people I take out, they're bad people. Money's good. It's a job. Yep. Hey, man. Are you seeing this beautiful morning? What are you doing? How are you? What am I doing? I'm set up here like you asked me to. Oh, right. Duh. This heat is urgent. This is Ryan Madison. Familiar to my slaughterous thoughts. Hey, man. Are you new to this class? Help me out. Ryan, you're up. I'm going to do the scene with him. What do I, I don't know what to say. Wow. Wow. The acting class made me feel really good. I feel really motivated right now. These are professional actors. They're the real deal, and they say I got something. You're a killer, Mary. Acting is a direct conflict. Being someone who anonymously kills people. If you're going to be an actor, here's my only direction. Adapt. Adjust. Let the cat out. When I first started in this class, I was very overwhelmed, but then I saw everyone else perform. Alas, poor. Forgot my life. And then it was easier. There's always a million reasons not to do something, Barry. If you want it, go for it. This is what you do. This is all you do. Why can't I do both things? I'm done, Fuchs. Starting now. Bravo! I just saw you go to a place tonight I have never seen before. Okay, I see you're still in that place. I'm going to leave you to your process. They can wait till Monday. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolsick, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, our conversation about Barry season one starts right now. Um, <laughs> that was very good, Kate. So, the, like, so I guess 
we know the answer. The answer is money. Yes. But the question, right, that this that this finale definitely puts out there, why season two? This should have just ended. <laughs> yes, it should have. And I totally see where everyone who, all the critics who watched this ahead of time that were just like, so this is really great, guys. Um, but do you need that? Do you need that season two? Because you're coming from a very dark place right off the bat, and then you're just like, well, why don't we do this to end with? But also, like, as of like final sort of scene, as a final sort of word, like it's so good. It's like the perfect way to end this show already. And I like I finished it and I just went, oh. Yeah, I definitely did not need a because it that that the the last sequence at the lake at the cabin feels so epilogue that I don't I literally don't want anything else from this show ever, even if it means just like not getting more of this really just nuanced and delicious and just perfect sort of performance from Bill Hader. And but now it's just like we're getting a season two, and I'm just like I don't. I don't need it. I don't I don't even really want it. Will I watch it? Yes. D- but d- do do I want to or do I need to? No, because this is this was a really good sort of short story type of season one and done kind of thing. And I would have been deeply satisfied with that. Yeah. I mean, to the point where it feels so epilogue that when they got renewed for a season two, I feel like they should have just gotten re- put some reshoots together and changed the end of this episode because yes, this that's the end of this season story. like series yeah. that that is the only end the story can have based on the morality and the themes of the show that the show is exploring. So, I mean, like it. There is no other ending to the show. This, this, especially the finale, asks the question: Can you leave this kind of destruction and death behind? And it answers it that definitively at the end of this episode: No. So that that's it. There is no other. The only other answer they can, the only other like thing they can build to with their their thematics and with their uh, character exploration and all this stuff is reversing that decision. That's the only, or like you they could confirm it or they could reverse it. That's it. And if you're going to confirm it, you're not going to do better than you just did. And if you're going to reverse it, that is not interesting. We've seen that too many times. And it's also not, not very honest with based on what they've done so far. And so you kind of lose the essence of this whole conversation, this whole show. So I just, it's, I'm totally puzzled and confused why they, if they were going to do a season two, why they did like there's nobody who says how long HBO shows have to be cut off that last five minutes or whatever write a different one a different ending and then you can build to that as your end of your season two or like there's different things you can do um it's certainly not killing like not killing the cop you know you can make like I love I love that she figures it out immediately as soon as she gets that one piece of information. It all clicks in and she's got it. Like, that was great. But instead of of having like a season long arc of figuring that, but like, yeah, I'm just kind of at a loss. Yeah, I am too. And it's, 
it's frustrating because the show's clearly crafted with a great deal of care, even to this point of, like you said, her, the fact that, um, um, that Janice figures it out immediately and just goes to confirm and that there's enough breadcrumbs to confirm it. Plus this, the, the, the thing that gets established very early on with the uh, video cam footage of, if you saw this person, even as a blur, you would recognize them. And like that, that was what ends up like locking in her decision more than anything else, really, was the fact that she goes, oh, that is Barry Block slash Berkman. And to have that figure out and it feels so well crafted and so built up to over the course of these episodes that, like you said, to undo it in some way feels really dishonest. Um, to have her, to have it be revealed that someone came after them at just that moment and they're the ones that killed her and he killed them and then got rid of both bodies and then starts now. Just feels like a cheat in a show that oh, they has... They can't do that. That even didn't occur to me for a second. Yeah, like the Bolivians or yeah. the Chesneans show up and like take care of the, solve that problem for us, basically. Um, or Fuchs come has hired someone and has solved that problem for us because um, we don't know like Fuchs's status after this little time skip that we've had. Um, that that is that feels like the likeliest sort of out here to kind of help us not turn against Barry so completely. Oh, I see. I don't think they can do that. I think that I think, I think that I don't think they're going to try to either. I think it's going to be like, but he really didn't want to, but the, and and the, the, we, we both know this, the amount that people will bend over backwards to forgive a piece of crap, white male protagonist. Right. Is massive. Is insane. So I like I don't think they're worried about that. Okay, that's fair, and they're probably not. I've I I was positing a potential sort of thing that they like could do. like like I would appreciate it if they did the effort if they tried. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating, and it's asking. I think it's asking like a lot to have us come back when he's done this, even after that really good exchange between the two of them, because it's just like his whole discussion of like we're the same. I want a life. I want love. I don't want to do this anymore really speaks to one half of the ethos of the show. And then hers is basically the rebuttal of that, of like, no, we are definitely not the same. And that there's really no coming back from this. Like there was no coming back from like the, the tail end of this for him anyway. But then there's definitely like, there's no coming back from, Provided he legitimately carries out and kills um, the detective, there's re- it's really hard to come back from that at this point in a way that I'm excited to see, really. And that's really frustrating as well. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, there's not, there are things they can do, like you said, but there's nothing they can do that I am interested in watching them do. Like, yeah. there's no, like, twist or turn they can do with that that doesn't feel like it. Like like a very different show, like that it feels it makes it doesn't make it feel like a different show that I'm not interested in watching, rather than the show we have enjoyed watching all season. Yeah, 
yeah, and I think that's really fair. And I think for me, legitimately, like a lot of it's going to hinge on what they do in the season two premiere that they're going to do. And the degree to which I will remain involved really hinges on that. I'm I'm probably giving them too much of a leash. I'm probably doing exactly what you're saying is like bending over backwards. Um, but I've gotten a lot more ruthless with this sort of thing in terms of like being like, okay, yeah, no, I'm I'm done. But it's the compellingness of Hater's performance coupled with the fact that up to this point, like I said, they've constructed a really elegant collection of events that they strung together really nicely and they created a really good world. But this just starts to undo a lot of that goodwill. Yeah. Well, let's talk about more of that because like <laughs> we're halfway into our discussion of this episode and we've only talked about the ending <laughs> of the finale when we have a, a whole season of goodness to talk about. So let's talk about all the thing, the reason that we're both going to come back for season two. And that's, that's Bill Hader. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's lots of other things too, but it really more than anything it comes down to Bill Hader and uh, the, what he's, the levels he's bringing this performance, like I knew he was very good. I'm not surprised that he's so good in this, but it makes me really, um, like ravenous to see him in more and different roles. Yes. Because uh, this is, I mean, I guess there are touches of some of the characters we've seen him do on SNL here, like in, in aspects of his performance. So it's not like we've never seen him do anything like this in just like small chunks. But he's he's so compelling throughout. There's an internal uh, life to, to the, this character. There's a very distinct sense of humor and... um like thought process to what's going on, just like a, a, enough of a left of center that it feels really appropriate for the character. Like it, it's the kind of thing where I can't imagine anyone else playing Barry. Like I can imagine other people playing pretty much every other character on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the I guess the second least recastable would be Henry Winkler. Right, but, but that's also such a broad sort of type that's, that you could do that in other ways. Yeah, but. This really, like, I, there aren't many characters, there aren't many actors on TV right now where I can't imagine anyone else playing that role. And the ones that come to mind are all the best shows on TV. (laughs) And I do think, like, a lot of that, especially in, like, the finale, but also, like, the first sort of two episodes that Hader co-wote with uh, Alex, Alec Berg, um... And also that um, Hater directed a, cu- a chunk of like the first three or four episodes um, is the fact that Barry is Barry is clearly wonderfully calibrated to Hater. Like they're not they're not asking Hater to do anything that Hater goes I can't do that or I don't know how to do that. I think in a lot of ways um, that the decisions that they're making all feel motivated by the fact that. This is something Hater has wants to explore about himself and clearly did a lot of the prep work. As an actor, he found a truth. He makes the unsafe choices, that kind of a thing, um, to borrow all of the acting parlances to push himself in this kind of a direction. And I think that that speaks to how really successful his performance is, is that it's perfectly honed for him by him and also by Alec Berg, who I think he just clearly really trusts. Yeah. 
Well, and understandably, right, rightfully yeah. so, because it's a it's an excellent, very successful collaboration. Yeah. Um, yeah. The and like that ownership, like you say, of the character and also just the the world is it's there's a confidence throughout yeah. that comes from that. It's not just a strong performance from from Hater. It's also that confidence of being a, one of the creatives. You know, one of the writers, like, very involved in the whole thing and the, the process, that, like, the de- development of the show and, and in putting together, piecing together the world. Uh, it, it reminds me of, like, like Donald Glover over on Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. I think or Issa really on Insecure. Yeah, I think those are both really good comparisons to make to Barry. Yeah. Well, how about, let's talk about some of the direction. We're talking about Alec Berg. Uh, who, I believe he directed the fa- finale, right? Yeah, um, I've got it pulled up. Hang on here. Yeah, he directed the last two episodes. Yeah, I think overall it's had really strong direction, and like, because and it's doing different things. So you need the comedic stuff, but it's also like the the action set pieces have been really effective, very physical. Um, the the dramatic things have worked. The dramatic moments have worked really, really well. Like the timing on things like the flash forwards and everything, the fantasy sequences. Um, this is again another one of these shows that isn't hemmed in by a particular genre or tone it's willing to do or interested in doing a bunch of different things with its with its tone and uh that you know part of why that's so successful is because of the the direction I mean, and, and all the editing as well but the the pacing for each of these episodes has been really tight re- like when when we take time in this finale for the for the lip sync for the <laughs> the uh henry winkler uh bear uh no sorry what's his name can't remember the character's name, but when we get take time for his uh, Gene, maybe his his Gene, yeah, Gene, his lip sync, like it's just it's such a long sequence, but it's so. I mean, for what's coming next, it's absolutely terrific. It's just right. Yeah, it's pivotal. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's been it's one of the the stronger directed comedies, or just have our shows out there. I would say right now, like for me, Atlanta is above it <laughs> this year. Um, and some of some of the episodes of of the Good Place, but there aren't many half hours that I would put above Barry for direction this year. Well, and I think our comparisons to Atlanta are instructive in part because like Hiromori came on to direct episodes five and six, and they sort of discussed how he, in particular, sort of adjusted. Um, I think, an, and came up with like some different sort of perspectives on how to do the show that they're already doing but i also think that even in the early goings i feel like the show ends up feeling kind of indebted to a lot of like the tonal sort of approaches that atlanta displayed in its first season um and really ramped up in its second season in a lot of ways um that so like what you were talking about this willingness to sort of linger which again the willingness to linger is not new to Atlanta and it's not new to Barry or within even a half hour format. But the way that I think both shows sort of execute those um, moments from the lip sync or from the, or from Barry's various stream sequences of talking to John Hamm or talking to his kids in a just not so distant future sort of setting that he's imagining um, are really sort of brief snippets of that really well-developed interior world that Barry has and wants that you were discussing. 
that you can only really achieve that when you have a really firm handle on the show's overall aesthetic and tone. And then you have directors who come in, um, including uh, Maggie Carey, who directed episode four, that just get it. And so having like three, basically two outside directors come in and be like, okay, yeah, but what about this? And it works within the tone of the show and works within the style of the show. I think it's really significant that they found two other directors who get what they're doing. And I think that's really important um, without breaking the show and really, they really just embraced it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming we'll see most of these directors back. Uh, I mean, of course, we mentioned Bill Hader as one of the writers, but of course, he's also <laughs> the director yeah. of three of the episodes, too. Um, the uh, the one question mark I have about next, uh, like, the, about the ensemble, and the thing I hope for next season, that would be great to see, even though I still don't think there should be a next season, but I think they have a lot of work to do uh, with, with Sally. And I think part of the point of her in this first season is that she feels very interchangeable. It, like, I kind of get, like, it's it's not like it's Sally is such an amazing person. It's just that she's feels normal and she feels like so separated out from Barry's world. That's why he's so drawn to her. Um, but I, I would like if she could be a character. <laughs> I Do you feel am I being too harsh? No, you're not being too harsh at all. Um, the show's the show's major problem has been Sally, as well as to a certain degree the ensemble of the acting class, which I think is purposefully supposed to be very broad and supposed to be very group of people trying to break into acting, and they're all vaguely horrible in their own particular ways, or just sort of sad, but not in not in a sad sad way, just kind of sad. Why else would they have signed up for Jean's class kind of deal? Mm-hmm. Um, but Sally is Sally is just she's too much of a type in terms of that. Like you said, she represents a degree of normalcy that Barry suddenly realized he wants. And that's the extent of what she is, really. Like the the small detours that we get into her life of like finding an agent. Um when they're separated from Barry, feel like they're part of a different show, and they don't really necessarily express too much of who Sally is to us. Even her name feels overly generic, and not in the hitman sort of way that it feels generic from Barry. Um, that it's just sort of... It's, she's just there, and I was... When we, when we jumped to the time skip with them in the hammock together... And clearly, like, in very happily involved with one another, I just kind of went, we skipped over a lot of stuff here, guys, <laughs> that I really kind of would have liked to have seen, especially given the fact that a lot of her shifts in tone are so motivated by where she feels her career is going and where it is, that it was really sort of frustrating for that to skip over. And I would have liked to have seen them doing rehearsals and their decision to do, um, to do, um, whatchamacallit, the, um, oh, I'm blanking, uh, Zoo Party. Are they doing Zoo Party for their second I, one? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Albie play. They're doing an Albie play, mm-hmm. um, where they're going to switch parts. And it was just like, let's have a discussion about this in terms of like what this means for them as both, but burgeoning actors, but also 
as a couple and that kind of a thing that the show can't do because they need to get to this last bit. And that prevents Sally from feeling developed. And that's it, it was really frustrating. And it was like the one thing that was kind of dragging the show down for me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see what they do with it next season. Uh, maybe there's more that they can do there. But again, I just feel like the focus being so 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 locked onto Barry is part a big part of why the season has worked so well. Yeah. But I mean it's going to have to be something very different next season no matter what. Yeah, yeah. It it, it has to be something very very different. So it starts now. <laughs> <laughs> it starts now. Are there any other uh like performances or moments or details that you'd like to to make sure we mention here before we wrap up the segment? Well, we didn't really talk about our crime lords very much. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were just generally, I thought really delightful. I really like the Bolivians, um, particularly like the head crime Lord that, uh, when he shows up uh, is just really fun. Um, I like, I always sort of like when shows present crime as just sort of a business sort of situation of like, I don't really want to do this, but this is kind of how things are done. I feel bad about this. And you legitimately do think that he feels bad about having to do this because it's just a massive waste of time, money and men that he's just like, we, we kind of have to do this because of how this whole ecosystem of capitalism that we are latching onto works. And so I like how it's just a matter of business, but it's not like a, um, machismo sort of business sort of thing. It's just a no, this is how this is done and I feel bad about this, but we kind of have to do this, but then I like the resolution of it of like, no, we've seen we've both come to an agreement type of thing. We've made a deal. We've understand this and now it's like, can we please convince our our minions to mingle a little <laughs> bit, please? Um, So I really like the Crime Lord stuff. Um, I like the setup of how that's done, of how Barry ends up framing the Bolivians so that it gets tied up in a really tidy bow for them Mm. Um, from like a narrative aspect. I like how that gets tied up as well. I thought that was really smart. Um, And so I think that stood out for me as well. I think that the only other thing I will say is that in season two, I kind of just need Darcy Carden to become like the main character. (laughs) And because I want to know more about Natalie, (laughs) but really I just want more Darcy Carden in my eyeballs. Yeah. Um, All the time. Yeah. All the time. I just want that all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But what about you? Was there anything in particular from across the season that stood out that we haven't already discussed? Well, like you said, Glenn Fleshler and Anthony Kerrigan are just pitch perfect. As our two main baddies, uh, Gorn and, and Noho Hank, and like I'm very excited for more Noho Hank next year. There's like like the vocal tick and like delivery of that, yeah. and like and just the look. Like I I looked up a picture of the actor earlier to make sure it was the right actor, and it's so weird to see him with hair because <laughs> 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 I don't watch Gotham, and apparently he's on Gotham. But um, yep, yeah. he is. Oh, he is. Yeah, that's where he's from. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I was, uh, it's been kind of bugging me a little bit. <laughs> The, the the balance of tone is so essential for the show and having Barry be so dry, you need a, a larger than life, you know, thing force for him to ping off of in this professional side of things. And because like the situations and just like the, the acting class is, is so ridiculous that like that works for that p- corner of the show, but for you need, you need uh, something more uh, heightened for his uh, work life, I guess. And that can't be, that can't really be Fuchs. 
because you need more of the personal connection there that has to be more grounded so that the things will pay off with the betrayal that we get for you know later will pay off well and uh, we haven't mentioned Stephen Root but he's been terrific all season yeah. I, I want him to not really be in season two unless he like for at least for a while you know I, I hope kind of hope the character stays away for a bit or that we follow him on his own like arc throughout the show but um i think have, sending him away is a good call and a little distance from that character would probably be good right because i think it's important because we need barry to deal with this basically on his own and i think that's going to be really important for whatever they're going to do in season two as opposed to him going immediately back to fuchs yeah indeed um but yeah overall the ensemble has been really terrific even just like like this like people who pop up for two like karen david i mentioned her i enjoy enjoying her and her episode of timeless she pops up here as uh as chris's wife chris uh, chris marquette as the mm-hmm. you know as, as the the buddy from the army buddy who you know marine the buddy. Dots. sorry marine buddy thank you um yep. is is terrific in that role like he's so forgettable <laughs> but that's exactly right for that character he's like He's just a, sort of normal guy dweeby, right? Which is what you want and, and sort of useless, but that's perfect for the character. Like, the, it's a very well-cast show overall. And to, to see all these little pieces that are still out there, like, for, you know, who's still there? Like, I'm sorry. I was just remembering Stovka. <laughs> Again, <terrific. laughs> if If they come up with the right structure for the show, if they, if they can get us to buy back in on a season two with the premiere... There are all these pieces out there that they could go back to if they want and do a lot more with because they have such a, a deep bench. So, I, you know, it, again, if they, if they can get us back on board, there's no reason to think season two won't be really uh, interesting and, and, and funny, certainly, but compelling. So we'll see what they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give them like a little bit of leeway, but I don't feel like I can give them a lot because it's very Razor's Ed. Yeah, I definitely recommend people... Go watch Barry season one. Yes. Maybe don't watch Barry season two, but definitely watch Barry season one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's all done. So if you have HBO already, you can check it all out uh, or you can check it out when HBO does a free weekend, which I feel like they do a lot more of these now mm-hmm. than they used to uh, back when I was growing up. Yeah. Wait for the DVDs to come out. Go to your local library. Yeah. Yes, also a good call. Local libraries are the best. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we'll wrap up the show. A few show notes here. At the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up on Stitcher. We appreciate rating reviews either place. And of course, we are both on uh, Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? I am at Noel RK, and thank you, Kate, for a really good week. Thank you, Noel, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.